for me, I would sometimes just go to Walt Disney World by myself as an annual pass holder and roll around and just take a moment, take a breath, just to be alone and not have chaos or phone calls or appointments and places that I had to be just so I could just sit and people watch if I wanted to. Hi, everyone. This is the AgeWise Podcast. Your assumptions are going to be turned somewhat upside down. Where we talk about aging well. It's an issue that nobody wants to talk about. And wisely. I was totally unfamiliar with the term caregiver. You really learn what you're capable of. I'm Jana Panaritis. Florida resident Jen Vargas describes herself as, quote, daughter to the best mom ever. That's a claim not every daughter can make, but it helps explain why she's been advocating on behalf of her mother at least since 2010, when Jen's mom was diagnosed with cancer. Jen has recently had some of her own health complications, and I wanted to know how she manages to balance caring for herself with caring for her mom and keeping up with her on-the-go work life. Jen Vargas is on the Community Advisory Board for 90.7 WMFE Radio in Orlando, Florida. She's a guest columnist for the Orlando Sentinel newspaper, and she's producer and host of Film Slam at Enzian Theater, a monthly independent film showcase and competition open to Florida filmmakers and students. TV, film, and social media producer Jen Vargas, welcome to the AgeWise podcast. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. I feel important now. (laughs) So let's put this in context for listeners. Tell us a little bit about your background. Are you originally from Florida? Um, I was born in Los Angeles, California. I was brought over at a very early age by my mom uh, to Orlando, Florida. She wanted to be closer to her parents who lived here. My grandfather worked for Martin Marietta, QA testing like rockets and things. Oh, cool. And... My grandmother, her mother was here. Um, Eventually, my uncle and my aunt came back. My aunt was a nurse, an oncology nurse Mm -hmm. in Nashville at Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. And my uncle was in the Air Force. So eventually, everybody came back here. My mom wanted to have me closer to them growing up instead of in Southern California for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand it now, but at the <laughs> time I didn't because I had always wanted to go to UCLA film school. Oh. And it's always easier to get into a school if you're a resident, if yeah. you're a state resident in state. So mm-hmm. I didn't understand it when I was littler, but I completely understand now. LA is a great place to visit, but I would never want to live there. Do you have siblings? Um, <laughs> I have a, a, a unique situation. I was raised an only child. Mm -hmm. I came to discover probably five years ago now that I have seven other brothers and sisters existing in the state of California and in Mexico. Wow. So technically I'm an only child. I grew up uh, until, you know, in my mid-30s I found out Mm -hmm. that I have these half-siblings on the West Coast, but yeah, it it, uh, it was a crazy experience. My mom found out through LinkedIn. Oh my gosh! That wow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I had all these brothers and sisters because uh, my mom was connected or knew of. They were old enough to have in their cognizant memory 
two of my sisters, two of my older sisters, who I won't age them completely, but they're <laughs> they're probably 10 or more years older than me. Okay. And my sister Cece reached out to my mom on LinkedIn, and it, everything went from there. I was a little iffy at first because I didn't know, are, are these people for real? Yeah. Like, what's the ulterior motive and whatnot? But yeah, so... Technically, I'm an, I'm an only child, but but not really. I, I don't know. So you really, you grew up as an only child with a single mom, is that right? Yep, my mom's a single mom. Okay. So your mom, Pam, Pam Stive, is that how she pronounces her name? You're, that's amazing. You're the first one that I think has ever got it right on the first time. <laughs> really? What's so complicated about that? I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a vowel thing. Uh, I don't, a lot of people say Steve. A lot of people yeah. say Stein. <laughs> but yeah, they, they often mispronounce her last name. I don't think it's that hard. But anyhow, tell us about your mom. <laughs> tell us about your mom, Pam. Pam Stive. When did her health start to fail? She'd been diagnosed at, in 2010 with cancer? Correct. Okay. My mom in 2010 was diagnosed with stage one uterine cancer. Okay. Luckily, was caught very early. Her prognosis was great. Stage one, mm-hmm. at the very beginning, she had noticed some symptoms and uh, went to the doctor, went to the gynecologist, and they confirmed it. She was taking uh, oral medication mm-hmm. and oral chemo mm-hmm. to help offset the, the side effects and things and Everything was going fine. And then in 2014, I ended up, (laughs) it was probably sooner than this, but in 2014, I ended up taking her to the emergency room. She was having shortness of breath. Like, she couldn't get from her chair in her bedroom to the bathroom without just completely losing her breath. And something wasn't right. She looked pale. Something was off. I found out in the emergency room that uh, she had amassed a tumor on her right breast, and it was quite advanced. Um, She also had uh, blood clots in her legs and her lungs, and they were significant. But the tumor I found out about from the attending ER doctor, and he was like, well, you know, Pam, we we have to address this tumor as well on your right breast. And I was like, excuse me, tumor? (laughs) And my mom just started crying. She's like, I'm so sorry. I I didn't tell you. I was afraid. I I knew something was wrong. And apparently at least six months ahead of that, she was aware that something started forming. She didn't want to talk about it. She She just didn't want another diagnosis because we Many people don't know this. Some people do. Uh, We have a a pretty grave family history Uh with cancer. I have lost my aunt and my uncle and a great-grandmother and I think some other people along our our family tree on my mom's side to cancer. And uh, the fact that she lost both her brothers and sister, both her brother and sister, to lung cancer and leukemia the fact that she's now the third sibling and all the kids have cancer. They were both in remission at one time, and then it came on aggressively, and uh, we lost them shortly thereafter. This was over a few years period, so I call myself unwillingly a child of cancer Uh because I remember vividly as a kid going into hospitals, going into funeral parlors, the smell of the flowers, the, wow. the, the smell of the hospital, the squeak of the floor, the sound of the bed moving, 
um, the sound of the door shutting, just all those olfactory things that they're just very vivid memories, what songs were playing during what viewing service. And wow. Yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's not something I, I talk about very often, but yeah. we have a, a pretty long family history of cancer. Mm-hmm. So when my mom discovered this tumor and she just kind of let it be, <laughs> that was not good. And her prognosis, she was at first staged between stage three and stage four, her two positive breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, it eventually developed to stage four. And her prognosis was indeterminate, I think is what they said, because it was so advanced. And the tumor, I don't have a a large hand, but if you ball and make a fist, ball your fist, that's about how big the tumor on her right breast is or was. And that's just the outside. So the inside, it obviously had roots and things and and muscle tissue and all that. And it, it was pretty bad. However... Her oncologist, Dr. Kalpesh Barot here in Orlando at Southwest Cancer Center, he is also a hematologist. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. he came up with some sort of chemo cocktail. Uh, She takes anastrozole as an oral every day. She did Taxol and Herceptin every week for, I think she was, I think it was 16 weeks. Every Wednesday, it was like going into a shift at work. We would go into chemo at 9 a.m. We wouldn't leave sometimes till 4, 4 4.30 in the afternoon. And I would sit with her. And our first chemo session was she was just very white-knuckled, like literally and figuratively Mm white-knuckled and scared. And Mm -hmm. she had four prep bags uh, for nausea, Benadryl, um, and two other ones that I can't recall right now. The Benadryl, which usually knocks her out, had no effect on her whatsoever. She was so freaked out. And then and subsequently she took to medication and kind of went night-night for a couple of hours uh-huh. during it afterward. But she, uh, my mom had a, a double mastectomy in January. Yeah. And even before that, I don't know how she got up most days. Just with all the, the Taxol and the Herceptin going through her system, she lost her hair twice her joints were weakened. She developed neuropathy in her legs and and lymphedema and her skin was weird for a while Mm -hmm. and she lost toenails and such. Oh my. Yeah, she lost her eyelashes, her eyebrows, like all of the the good and the bad went with it. Wow. And was she living alone during all this time? And how often did you see her? Well, you were so um, involved in her care, but... Right. Yeah, no, we actually lived together. Okay. okay. We figured it was easier to live together, especially when she started going through her issues in 2010. I mean, I didn't know. I mean, stage one could develop into stage two, three, four. Right. You never know where that could have gone. Thankfully, it didn't go much further than it did. Uh-huh. But then in 2014, it got a lot worse and... In 2008, when the economy tanked, so did my full-time job at a local theme park. I worked in the administration area. So it just, the stars aligned in a weird way. Mm -hmm. So we ended up, we lived together, and I'm her full-time live-in caregiver. So, well, let's go back to your mom for just a second. When she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2014, did that escalate your concerns? I mean, you'd gotten through a really tough period earlier on, right? Yeah. So how did that 
change you after she was diagnosed, both emotionally and then in terms of, oh boy, this is going to be a much bigger commitment than I thought. How did that affect your life? Well, with her diagnosis of breast cancer and realizing how bad it actually was, you, uh, speaking for myself, but the children in general, just go into automatic, how do I help mom mode? And how can I best be of assistance and still try to live a life and still try to have a career and everything? Everything just kind of evolved into like a new normal. I knew I would go to treatments with her every Wednesday, and eventually that tapered off into every month, which was also on a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Being local media here, and I, I write for blogs, I'm the managing editor of Central Florida Top 5, which is a a popular local blog. We're one of the oldest in the area here in Central Florida. I work with City of Orlando. I work with Orange County, which is where I live, and Mm -hmm. Mayor Jacobs, who's the mayor of Orange County. I'm on her social media and technology work group. I do a lot of things in the community, and trying to balance that with everything that was going on at home is very tough. It was very tough and still is very tough, but there are just times where I have to say, and oftentimes very last minute, I'm sorry, I can't be there today. And some people who I work with often or partner up with, they understand what's going on, either because they've had a parent that's going through it or have gone through it, or they just know that you have to be there for your mom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, There are times that my mom has had to go to the emergency room. There are times that uh, she's had to have scans that were unplanned, like PET scans and things like that. Mm -hmm. There are times where she just wanted to go see Dr. Barot, her oncologist. Mm -hmm. And there are times where she just felt weak and out of it. And I do my best to try to juggle around my day. There are certain things that that are paid gigs that I can't get out of. Like mm-hmm. on a film set, you're, you sometimes work up to 16 hours a oh, day. Yeah. And it's very, very fluid in hours. Mm-hmm. And you get paid by the day or the half day. There is no take a break for two hours and come back thing. It's either you're all in all day or you miss that day and completely miss that opportunity. And I've missed, uh, I've missed some pretty great opportunities due to mm-hmm. <laughs> due to our circumstances mm-hmm. and um i mean they say everything happens for a reason i truly believe that but there are a few things that i i really wish i hadn't missed but she's my mom and she's the only one i got so yeah and you're the only one she's got really that she can count on is that right yeah we have uh one other living relative here in the state my uh-huh. cousin uh-huh. um he has a family. He's gotten married, had a family, and has a, a small child. They live probably about an hour or so away. Unfortunately, they're not involved in any of her care. So my boyfriend has uh, moved in with us oh, well. and helps me help her. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. I am I am her her only. Have you used in home care for her? Is that something that you've experimented with? When she was first diagnosed with breast cancer, she had a PICC line, uh-huh. and we did have a home care nurse come two or three times a week, uh-huh. three times a week, actually, 
to um, maintain the pick line, keep it clean and everything. And that's one of the many trips we've had to take to the emergency room. Uh, a couple of times the pick line got infected. It raised her temperature. It, it can get pretty dangerous, especially because that's going right to your heart. Yeah. So once she got the pick line removed and got a port instead, everything was much smoother after that. But then there went her home care because they were also treating with the lymphedema in her legs, the skin needed care and needed to be cleaned quite frequently. And I, I'm, <laughs> I've become a reluctant nurse uh-huh. at home, uh-huh. just knowing doctor terms that I never thought I'd know. And, and I know basic first aid, AED, CPR stuff, mm-hmm. but I never thought I'd need to know the difference between a pick line and a port, saline and heparin and... My aunt was the the nurse of the family. I never thought that I would step into that role, Mm -hmm. even in a junior form, but I did, and Mm -hmm. I'm happy that I know that stuff now. At least I can bestow that working knowledge, I guess, to uh, friends, and I I get questions quite often. I'll get the random direct message on social media saying, I know you what you're going through with your mom, and I know you work a lot with American Cancer Society, and other local charities and my aunt, my brother, my sister, my mom were just diagnosed. What do I do? I'm lost. I'm scared for them. I don't know. So at least I can share what I've gone through with other people and can help them out. Well, you make a really good point about the lack of training that so many caregivers experience and learning on the job. Did you have anyone at the hospital at any point along the way sort of shepherd you through the after hospital care? Yeah, uh, once she was discharged, right. uh, the nurse, the she she was lucky in that she had some very caring, helpful nursing and uh, doctor staff come through. Mm-hmm. And I'm the kind, uh, and my mom always like stop, stop asking questions. Uh-huh. She, I'm I'm always like the question asker. Uh-huh. I I may not necessarily write it down, but for some reason, my brain will keep that information. But, you know, in a moment of crisis, you tend to lose all of that. So I did have people show me how to, uh, like, flush her pick line, for example. That's something I wouldn't have known to do. And and the fact that you should wear gloves and and have um, alcohol wipes and stuff around just to make sure that it's clean and you're clean and you're not giving her anything that you have. Because there were times where she was so immunocompromised that if I even got a cold, or even the hint of, like, a sinus infection, that could send her to the emergency room. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I had to wear a mask a few times around her in mm-hmm. the car in close quarter type things. So mm-hmm. they prepared me for that, but being the caregiver for someone who's going through, like, going through a situation like this, I can only imagine what it would be like to take care of a kid. I don't have kids myself, Mm -hmm. but you have a kid, you're in the hospital, congratulations, have a birth certificate. Okay, now go home and care for your kid for 18 years. Uh Like, I know nothing about that. And that's kind of how I felt when she was discharged. Not Mm -hmm. that they didn't prep me completely, but there are just little things that are going to happen that you just, you don't have anything to relate to that type of care. You don't have 
there's no how-to guide for any of this. Sure, there are tips that you can research on blogs and health providers' websites and things, but you're not going to know what you're looking for until you're actually looking for it. And that is a lot of what I went through. I would call the um, American Cancer Society 800 number pretty often. I would talk to my friend Robin, who runs Libby's Legacy Breast Cancer Foundation, Mm -hmm. which is here located in Orlando. Especially after she had the double mastectomy, I didn't know what to do. There are all these bulbs coming out of her for drainage, and I know that they obviously need to be emptied, but what do I look for? What's the good stuff? What's normal? What's not normal? What would involve me taking her back to the hospital? What sort of signs should I see in her? Just things like that that come up that I don't know that anybody could properly train for. Right. I mean, I'm wondering, what sort of support could you have had that you didn't have? Uh, This is just something that comes up so often. So many people come out of these situations like you did, you know, with hospital experiences, not knowing what's going to happen next and not knowing what to do next and having to just figure it all out on their own. So Yeah, I think for me, I think the idea of sending a healthcare like care coordinator the, um, or even a social care worker. coordinator yeah sending sending a care coordinator home for like one or two weeks or having someone from the hospital someone who is n- maybe not even necessarily a nurse mm-hmm. but someone who knows what may happen in the first one or two weeks post-op and whatnot mm-hmm. having for me having an extra set of hands, period, Mm -hmm. would have been amazing. Mm -hmm. If I would have had, uh, my boyfriend was working a lot of the time, and prior to my mom's surgery, I fell at a conference and did some, apparently some crazy things to my ankle that involved me having to have surgery a month after she had her double mastectomy. Right. So. <laughs> that was your that was your health complication that I referred to in the opening there. <laughs> well, I yeah. want to hear about that, but go ahead. I interrupted your thought. No, that's okay. I, just the the extra set of hands, mm-hmm. especially after I was laid up um, after my operation because I couldn't walk and I I still can't walk and it's it's May, so <laughs> it, it wow. um, I'm slowly getting back to it. I, I took my first steps yesterday with a walker, so that was a big plus. But Having a, a care coordinator, having an extra set of hands, having somebody else whose knowledge I could call on, who I didn't have to make a call, I didn't have to track down, I didn't have to call in a number and press one for this or two for this, or not having to go on the internet and research it myself. That extra set of hands would have helped a great deal with her post-op care. Mm-hmm. And the in-home care thing, was that off the table for you? I tried to get her. I suggested it anyways. I mean, she's the patient. She's going to have dominion over how her care goes. Uh I suggested someone come in, much like we had when she had the pick line, Mm -hmm. and she said she didn't think that she needed it, that she could take care of things on her own. My mom is very, she has the, the single mom mentality of, I can do for myself, I always have. Very stubborn, very... Yeah. bullheaded. Uh-huh. And she thought that we could handle it here at the house on our own and we didn't need to involve anything. She wasn't sure what Medicare, Medicaid or her insurance would pay for mm-hmm. or for how long. Mm-hmm. And she opted to not have that, which in all honesty made my life harder because I was 
limping around in a boot uh-huh. trying to do the best I could before my surgery, and I was doing even less after. So extra set of hands or two, somebody to do the laundry uh-huh. even, or somebody to help clean her bathroom would have been amazing. Yeah. Well, how's she doing now? I know that you've been through now, the radiation. She's been through 33 sessions. Is that right? Of, of radiation? Daily radiation? Yep. Daily Tell- radiation, Monday through Friday. Wow. Tell us how she's doing now. Her prognosis, from what I understand, is great. Unfortunately, after my surgery, she started radiation the Monday after my surgery. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't go with her to any of the sessions, unlike chemo, where I sat through over 180 weeks of chemo infusion with her. I couldn't go with her at all to radiation. It broke my heart because she just, it wipes you out even more. And she had that time off of work. Thankfully, her employer is amazing to her and have been through this whole journey. I don't know what we would have done. She works at DPR Construction and does payroll. Uh, Wow. And uh, that's a huge responsibility. It is a huge responsibility. (laughs) She she works in the shared services office. So she is a payroll administrator for several units on the East Coast and I think some on the West Coast. They're West Coast-based construction company, but their shared services division is here in Central Florida. Mm-hmm. So she had quite a bit of responsibility. She went back to work almost three weeks ago now, and I think she's doing okay, but she's still wiped out. Like a, a normal day for her is a full day, like even just going back and forth to doctor's appointments. Yeah, she'll get it's exhausting for anyone, a healthy person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I bought her much to her dismay, but now she loves it. I purchased a mobile scooter uh-huh. for her to get around in because uh-huh. she was using a walker with handbrakes. And there are times where she could walk maybe about five feet and then she'd have to sit down on the bench of the walker for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then she'd try to roll herself around. And that's just not safe because <laughs> she was doing it backwards Mm-hmm. and whatnot. So uh-huh. I knew if I got her a scooter, she could get a little bit of personal freedom back. Yeah. And then we got a lift for the scooter for the back of her car. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So we wouldn't have to t- constantly take it in pieces and put uh-huh. it in the trunk. And uh-huh. she could come and go almost as she pleased. But it would still it's still enough to go into the garage and get the scooter on the lift, wait for it to lift, and then go and start driving. The whole thing for her, it seems very simple for able-bodied folks. Mm -hmm. That's just go get a scooter, put it on, get in the car and leave. But for her, it's a process, even still. So she, um, she's doing well. She's back at work. She's using her scooter. She calls her Nadine. Uh (laughs) She's a bright pink, sassy scooter with suspension. (laughs) And she, she loves it. She can go like 10 miles an hour with that thing or something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But uh, she zooms back and forth and just loves it. Sometimes she'll come home from work and she just passes out. Hmm. Other times she'll be in the mood to fix dinner or have breakfast for dinner or something like that. But a a lot of times she'll just come home and she'll get ready for bed and then just fall asleep in her chair. She hasn't been able to sleep in a bed since she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Why is that? So she sleeps in a reclining chair. Because the toll that chemo has taken on her joints, specifically her hip Mm -hmm. and her knees, Mm -hmm. to get up in a bed for her is really hard. She's on the heavier side. So she can sit on the bed and lay back, but having to bring her feet up and cross the threshold of the mattress, it just would pull and 
not the right ways, and it would just become a chore for her to do. She couldn't find a way to sleep comfortably, whether it was on her side or on her back, and especially after she was first diagnosed, she had blood clots in her lungs. Mm. So sleeping flat wasn't really an option. She had to sleep reclined no Mm -hmm. matter what. So everything is a process now. How old is she now? uh, She is, she'll be 68. Okay. Sorry, Mom. (laughs) In September. So. (laughs) But if you look at her, she doesn't look her age at all. What sort of therapy do you use for yourself? I mean, how do you restore yourself? In the odd moment that my boyfriend and I can be home at the same time together before surgery, we would have like a movie day, we would go out to dinner. I mean, all of that seems very simple and not very fancy, but it was A, the most of what we could afford, and B, it's just time out of the house. Mm -hmm. And also doing late night trips to like Target or just going to Costco and doing the the tour around the samples that they have in there, just just walking around and looking at different walls, looking at a higher ceiling, looking at a brighter space, just going, going around Target, going around Costco, going around Disney Springs. It's like an outdoor kind of marketplace in the Disney area. For me, I would sometimes just go to Walt Disney World by myself as an annual pass holder and roll around and just take a moment, take a breath, just to be alone and not have chaos or phone calls or appointments and places that I had to be just just so I could just sit and people watch if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I want to ask why, <laughs> why it was so important for you to share your mom's battle on social media. You had a campaign on Twitter for a while, hashtag hi Pam. Tell us about why you chose to do it and uh, how it affected your mom. Well, I started actually back in 2010, I would share one picture a week of her in chemo. Mm -hmm. And my goal, because of my involvement with American Cancer Society and my family history of cancer, I wanted to use that as an educational tool. So when people say, oh, you have cancer, a lot of people think that you're going to die, that it's all sad stuff that it's all pain, it's all doctor visits and just general negativity. And in my mom's case, it was scary. And there were moments, she would have her moments of the why me and all of this, but she's a mom. She's never going to let me see that. So I started hashtag hi Pam when she went in for the double mastectomy in January, but I had actually been sharing her journey on Instagram since the 2010 was her first diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So educating people with the difference of a pick line and why blood tests are so important and just kind of not putting a happy face on her situation, but just showing the realness of it. Like one week she'd be happy and she wanted to take a selfie with one of her, her chemo buddies. And there are other times where she was scared. There are other times where she was sleeping, other times that she might have had some tummy issues. I wanted to share that with everyone to say, hey, just because you have this diagnosis doesn't mean you have to give up or you have to, you have to walk your journey in the same way as even my mom does. It doesn't necessarily mean it's a death sentence. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a doom and gloom all the time. So when I started sharing that, I, I had her co-workers 
come on my Instagram and cheer her on. One of her units in Virginia, every chemo day, they would dress up in purple and they would email her pictures just to keep her spirits up. And at first, when I, when I started sharing this, my mom hated it. She hates social media. She hates any attention given to her of any kind. She does a lot of good with not a whole lot for our community that no one would ever know, but she's not a limelight kind of person. But because of everything she was going through, and she still worked full-time for the most part throughout her first five years, I would say, with cancer. So from 2010 to 2015, except for emergency room visits, except for chemo days, she was working full-time, and she didn't want to have it any other way. You couldn't tell her to stay home. She became a Disney annual pass holder and wanted to go to Disney every weekend and and roll around. She couldn't ride any of the rides, but she wanted to do that. And then she started to embrace me sharing. She didn't want me to share like HIPAA stuff. Uh-huh. or, or right. any of that, any right. of the gross things, I patient, guess. Patient health information, we should clarify for listeners, right? And you Correct, would, you yeah. Would, you wouldn't share that. No, I mean, yeah. that's that's just not something you do, and I, yeah. I wouldn't share any of her, aside from like a picture or a, like a, a boomerang of her IV bag or, uh-huh. or something like that. I wouldn't share any of the more intimate details of her treatment mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. what she was going through. And then fast forward to this past January, any surgery, any hospitals automatically make both of us nervous uh-huh. <laughs> because we've had such a family history with them. She went in for surgery on January 16th, and I started the hashtag high Pam a couple days before she went into surgery. And I wanted to show her because she just, I guess she doesn't realize how much of an impact she's had on my followers and my friends and family who also follow me on social media She doesn't realize the impact that she's had on them just for going about her everyday life and going through this at the same time. Whether it's a normal or whether it's a new normal, she's still powering through. She's still living her best life. And that's inspirational to a lot of people who may not be in a position where they can do that right now or are just scared and... Yeah. All of that. She's provided a, a lot of comfort, whether she wants to believe it or not, <laughs> to <laughs> to people because I hear it and I try to read the the emails and things that I get to her, and she's like, "Ah, oh, you just shared a picture of me. I hate it when you share my picture." And it's like, "No, you really are doing something." So listen. So the hashtag Hi Pam was people sent in videos, people sent in private messages and private videos, emails, people who have vlogs would start and end their vlogs with a high pam mm-hmm. some people would just send like pictures of their dogs and their puppies their kids like she loves all that stuff she's a mom and people still they still do hashtag high pam and just to to give her a little bit of a boost now so it's her in sharing her journey with that they are giving her the boost that she gave them when she first started going through this journey. So it's kind of reciprocal. Yeah. It sounds like she's really (laughs) come out of it and, you know, has reclaimed her life a little bit, which is really admirable. A double mastectomy is no small thing. And to be back at work is pretty amazing after that. Yeah. Well, she had the double mastectomy and they also took 24 lymph nodes. So the, wow. her incision was actually a longer than wow. it would have been. Mm-hmm. And it's still not completely healed even now. 
like I said, I don't know how she gets up most days. I don't know how she continues on, but whether she's grunting and grinning, she still goes through her day, and she's just my hero. I don't know how she does it. That's a lot for you to absorb day in and day out, both on a inspirational level and on a, I wouldn't say grieving, because you're not grieving, but that's tough. And of course, it's her journey. It's, I mean, it's difficult for her. She's yeah. doing the She's doing the heavy lifting, but I guess my question is how has this changed you and for listeners how do you keep moving forward well it has changed me career wise i i'm in the film and tv industry my degree is in film and tv production that was my intended goal when i went to college and graduated film school is i wanted to work in film like Avengers Infinity War, I could have worked on that if mm-hmm. I were physically able right now. I'm not. Mm-hmm. With the lack of film incentives or in funding in general for the arts here in Florida, when all of that went away a few years ago, so did all of the work mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. So when Atlanta started booming and built an infrastructure that could contain consistent business, I could very easily have moved eight hours north to work in the field that I love and unfortunately would have to live in Georgia because that's where the work would be mm-hmm. with my mom in her current state. Until she's 100% cancer-free, I don't feel comfortable in leaving because you just never know what could happen. So career-wise, I guess all that she sacrificed for me as a, a small child in moving us from California to here I'm now, I hesitate to say sacrificing my career, but it kind of is. I could very easily be working and having a blast in the film and TV field anywhere, really, not just Atlanta. I could be in Toronto, I could be in Vancouver, Los Angeles, but I just, I don't feel comfortable moving. And as we've discussed, I'm all she has. Mm -hmm. So the fact that my my career now is kind of at a standstill. One, I need to recover from this ankle stuff. Right. But two, I need her to be well before I feel even remotely comfortable doing that. So I I work on some local productions and I've made some short films of my own. And then with hosting Film Slam, I uh, essentially give an opportunity for local filmmakers to be seen on a big screen. Our local art house, Independent Theater, it's the only one we have in town. And mm-hmm. the fact that your short film is, is screening on there is, is a pretty big deal. So the fact that I can give that opportunity to six to eight filmmakers every month is pretty great in its own. But my heart wants to be on a set somewhere. Oh, sure. But right now, I'll have to uh, live vicariously and through tweets that I see. Uh-huh. <laughs> What's the prognosis for her? For I mean, is there an end in sight for you where you can say free and clear? Is it is it the five-year thing? Or where does she need to get at for you to move on? I would like her to be at annual visits versus like weekly and monthly visits. That would be a comfort level for me that I think I could do because I can I can obviously make time to come down every month, even every year, but every week would be pretty costly. Yeah. Her prognosis right now, uh, I guess, is good. Once the, uh, the radiation treatments were completed, she went to her oncologist, and her oncologist essentially gave her a month off. No uh-huh. chemo, no uh-huh. radiation, still taking the oral chemo, 
but no infusion or anything like that, which is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, She went back to visit him recently, and he's giving her another month off, which is awesome. Baby steps. We'll take it. I believe a PET scan is in her future to see if the radiation got all of the breast cancer specifically at the incision site because there are little microbes that can grow and I guess develop another mass and things that sometimes they're so small that they get missed during surgery. So I think that that's the waiting period that we're on now is to make sure that nothing will grow, metastasize, what have you. And then hopefully we'll go into a one-year or five-year, and she'll get more energy back, and we can get her into physical therapy to strengthen up her joints. And she's just so ready to be able to come and go without assistance. I can't wait till she's able to just get up and take steps without having it be so labored or just to have that pep back in her step would sure. be would she'll, be great. She'll get there. You know, the question is, will you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I say that as a fellow caregiver and I know you will, but I am always yeah. concerned about the caregivers too. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, uh, I've had for me, I've had almost like a double whammy of emotional roller coasters mm-hmm. <laughs> because of her mastectomy and then my ankle surgery a month later And then not being able to go for her treatments and care for her as I had prior to surgery, it took an emotional toll. That alone was so hard to get through and nearly spirit-breaking, like not being able to take a step or going through physical therapy, intensive physical therapy and all of that. I mean, just not being able to be there for her as I was, was really, really hard. But I know that as soon as I can walk again, I'll be back to... I can make her dinner now, but I'll be back to walking it back and forth to her. And I get her, I get her ready for work. I get her lunch and stuff together. I put her scooter on the back of her car uh-huh. while I'm in a scooter. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, what a so I, I, I use the scooter to get her scooter on the back <laughs> of her car for her and load her car up and all that stuff now that I can. I think we'll be good. I think so, too. I wonder, has anyone ever tackled caregiving in any of the films that you've worked on, especially, I'm thinking, with the film Slam? And is that something that you would consider tackling? From a filmmaker's perspective, my coursework and where my heart lies as far as as making a film is a documentarian, Mm -hmm. ironically enough. I Mm -hmm. I like sharing stories Mm -hmm. and (laughs) Mm -hmm. sharing the stories of those who either can't or just aren't able to artistically express themselves Mm -hmm. so that's what i would like to do i right now i think it's too close for me Mm -hmm. to be as objective as i think that that should be Mm -hmm. so for right now tackling it myself would be too much Mm -hmm. however i have a film slam coming up which um i affectionately call fem slam fem slam fem slam yeah i i took over film slam the event itself and uh, programming it and hosting it, I took over three years ago. And when I took over three years ago, I was the first female Latina host. We had just all white guys <laughs> in the past uh-huh. as our hosts. So uh-huh. I, was, I was a different spin on Film Slam, but uh, the event has since grown. I added themed months to our programming. Themed. Yeah, uh-huh. different special themes. Mm-hmm. So, for example... For the first year in February, I did like a love month. It was a loose interpretation of love, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Any interpretation, whether it was like obsessive love, lovey love, romantic love, uh-huh. 
<laughs> what have you. I played short films that were submitted that fit within that theme. So I also started my first year an all-female represented film slam. And then um, it just kind of went from there. I have a, an LGBTQ Orlando United film slam that follows in May's film slam into June because our, mm-hmm. our film slam in 2016, our June program, was on June 12th, the Day of Pulse. Mm. A few hours later, in fact. And wow. I had to go up on stage and say, hey, local film is great and this is awesome and I don't know how you're going to laugh today, but we're going to try. So, mm. Wow. And then... October is all horror. Mm-hmm. So we actually do have a caregiver story. It's a, it's a short film. It's probably about five minutes called Remain that's playing this year's Fem Slam. That when I first saw it, 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 it hit me pretty hard because of the personal connection, but it, it was a good short story mm-hmm. to be told. So that's my one connection there. My first documentary out of film school was actually on Relay for Life. Wow. So I did a cool. yeah, I did a documentary on the uh, St. Cloud Relay for Life and I entered it actually in Film Slam uh-huh. before I was involved with it and I uh-huh. got third place. Oh wow, so. cool. For folks who want to know more about Film Slam, where yes. where can they go? Film Slam, we're we're going into 14 years in the Central Florida community showcasing local Florida short films. And we're located at the Enzion Theater, Central Florida's only art house independent movie theater, independently run features and shorts and animated and all that stuff. You can go on Facebook. If you do uh, facebook.com forward slash film slam, that's our URL. But if you type in the words film slam altogether, it should come up. We should be the first option on Facebook or on Twitter, Instagram, and all that stuff too. And then ticketing information is available on nzion.org. Okay. If you have any last thoughts for our listeners, I'd love you to share them before we close. If you're a caregiver, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough no matter what. You're not going through what your survivor or your family member, patient, friend, loved one is going through. But the toll that it will take on you will be unexpected and probably more than you're prepared for. And I would just encourage people to not give up and to, (laughs) this is something I struggle with, I would encourage people to take advantage of those who offer their assistance. If there are people saying, I'm so sorry you're going through this, if there's anything I can do, dot, 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 take them up on it. Just the littlest thing, from loading the dishwasher to just accompanying your loved one to a chemo or radiation session, going to the grocery store, cleaning your bathroom, doing laundry, like little things that someone can help you do will make your life even easier. Mm-hmm. And that is the, the thing that you need to do. If if there's no you, there's no caregiving you have to be able to get enough sleep, be strong enough for the person that you're helping, especially if you're like me and you're a solo caregiver. It could not be more important to stay alert and stay an active participant in your loved one's caregiving because it's hard. I don't know what my expectation was, but it's a lot harder than I even imagined it would be. And my mom has had a relatively... I say this, for lack of a better phrase, easy time with her chemo and radiation and things. Mm -hmm. There are some people out there who don't have a caregiver, who don't have kids, who don't have the luxury of having at least 
one pair of hands a system, let alone a family's worth. And I encourage you to reach out to, if not like support groups in your area, local hospitals and organizations through social media. There are a lot of Facebook groups out there dedicated to caregivers and there are a lot of subgroups out there that deal specifically with like breast cancer, prostate cancer, or something like that. So find your tribe and embrace them and, and don't be afraid to ask for help. I still struggle with that because I'm as stubborn as my mom is. I learned it from her. <laughs> so I, I would encourage people to reach out and if, if people offer their help and they just say it as like a high buy kind of thing, then you'll be able to really get to the people who can assist. Well, that sounds like a good note to close on. We've been speaking with TV, film, and social media producer Jen Vargas. She's also caregiver extraordinaire for her mom, Pam Stieb. And she's host and producer of Film Slam at Enzion Theater in Orlando, Florida. We'll be sure to link to that on the AgeWise website and provide ways that you can get in touch with Jen. Jen, thanks so much for taking time to come on the show. I know that you're consumed with lots of stuff going on, so thanks for your time and thanks for your candor. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. If you like the show, if you're getting something out of it, I want you to tell your friends about it because I want everyone to know you're not alone and your stories matter. Your voices have power. So share this with your friends. Share the love and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me and it's distributed on the nationally syndicated Speak Up Talk radio network. I'm Jana Panarias. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.